For all our listeners, the Hoof of the Horse podcast has negotiated a free copy of Farrier's Journal. That's a journal that comes out in seven European languages. If you subscribe through us, you get your first copy free. You get it at no commitment whatsoever. So if you don't like it, you don't have to continue at no cost to yourself. So subscribe through sjcurtisbooks at gmail.com. That's sjcurtisbooks at gmail.com. It's a great deal. listening to the hoof of the horse a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with dr simon curtis this episode of our podcast today is sponsored by hoof care essentials foundation partner life data labs laura was uh, so impressed by a farrier that worked on her horse with an injury, uh, making pattern shoes and getting it right, that she became a farrier herself. She grew up in Montana in great cattle and horse country, and she was a cowgirl in Montana before eventually moving her shoeing business to Alabama. So we discuss setting up business and how it's done, and we also cover defining success amongst many other things. So sit back and listen to Laura Gillespie and her podcast. For my final podcast here up in Cincinnati at the International Hoof Care Summit, I've been lucky enough to get hold of Laura Gillespie just after she finished her lecture, one of the final ones of the whole week. Laura is an AFA certified journeyman farrier and she comes from Montana, if I uh, understand it right, but she now lives in Athens in Alabama. So the first thing, uh, Laura, thank you for taking part in this podcast. Absolutely. And uh, just tell me, how did you get into horses and then farriery? So my first horse was when I was about 13 years old. And I just, I had to do a school project actually on horses. So I, I started that by just kind of being around horses and stuff like that. And then, actually, I was younger than that, I was probably eight. And then I would say um, when I was 14 is when I had a mare that actually cut her suspensory and um, superficial flexor and everything. And uh, I had to have surgery on that leg and the farrier that did the surgery, or I'm sorry, the farrier that, um, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that shod the horse post-surgery was Steve Eastman and he was the guy that kind of got me into, into shoeing. And um, he, he's my inspiration. He built a series of patent bar shoes and I thought that was the coolest thing. Like he was, he built series of shoes every four or five weeks or whatever as we, de- you know, graduated the horse back down. And um, so that's really what got me interested in farriery, I would say, in horses. And how did the horse get on? Because that's a pretty severe injury. It was. She was fine. Actually, she recovered completely. I was able to ride her lightly. Um, but she actually ended up uh, the other, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but the other side of her other leg ended up getting a lot of arthritis in it and having a lot of actually issues. I think she foundered on the other leg from what I know now. Yeah. That's 
They often, that seems to be the pattern. It's not the original injury. Sometimes it kills them. It's the, it's the, it's the loading, overload. overloading. Yeah. So uh, tell me something about Montana. It's real horse country, isn't it? I'm, I mean, I, yes. my experience is just from the cowboy movies. Yes, it is. It's very much real horse country, a lot of cattle. Yeah. Um, my family had a ranch. We raised cattle and such like that. So I, I rode quite a bit out there as well. And it's huge, wide open country. Huge. Wide so are you a cowboy or cowgirl, are you? I guess I would have been classified at that at one point, yes. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. People think they don't exist anymore in, I know. in much of the world. They think it's just something on the movies from... 1880 or something. Yeah, I, I never used to dress as like I do now. It was always button-down shirts, Wranglers, cowboy boots, and a hat. And I have not worn that since I moved east. So, <laughs> Not quite as accepted, is it? In, no, uh, no. So, so now you're in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And why did you move there? Um, honestly, I, I got divorced um, yeah. in Montana. And uh, I really needed just to... I, I, would, I was tired of being cold all the time number one and the wind blows all the time and that was really I, I just I had just about wanted a change of scenery actually yeah. and I wanted to also build a business where I could shoe year-round and not have to go to Texas or Arizona in the winter or and not have to calve cows out in the winter too so that sounds was <laughs> like three good reasons yep and uh, Alabama had a good uh, economy and such like that or the, the area I was looking at had a good economy so so you were inspired by this initial, uh, shall we say, um, meeting with a farrier who helped you, mm -hmm. your, your mare, even if it went wrong in, in the end. But how did you get training as a farrier? Um, training, um, I went to school at uh, Montana State. That was uh, my, the horseshoeing school there. And then, honestly, I had, um, I had so many different people help me along the way. I would say I, I never really had a official apprenticeship or anything like that, but I had, I had short stints of, with, with good farriers and such like that, I would say. Um, and then in 2000, I think it was 2008 or nine, I went to Oklahoma Horseshoeing School as well, just to kind of get, try to get more education when I could afford it. And how far was Oklahoma from Montana? That was, it was a two-day drive. We actually took a horse down and dropped it off in Kingman, Arizona on the way. So we kind of took a big detour. It was a friend of mine and I that went down there. Yeah, I was trying to give some idea of the sort of vastness <laughs> of, of the Midwest. Yep, yep. No, so, it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah, we drove from Montana with the horse to Kingman, Arizona, stayed there for a couple days and roped, and then and roped some calves just for fun because he was a roper as my old business partner. And then... Um, went to Oklahoma, left the horse there. And, and so how long did you spend at the Oklahoma that was, Barrier School? I think that was 16 weeks. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you had plenty of time at, at school. Yes. And then how hard is it to set up a business, you know, once you've gone through that? Um, it was like the first time when I was in Montana, I had a, I had a friend and I were in business together. Um, we, we, since we had grown up there, he knew, and his dad had been a farrier, um, he knew a lot of people, and so we started, we started showing their, like, just friends, I guess, sort of thing, and then our business kind of grew from there. When I moved to Alabama, um, it was a little bit difficult to start a business there, because it seemed at first there wasn't a lot of horses, so... 
um, my only other skill that I have that is not ranching and farming is bartending. So that's when I was bartending. <laughs> I actually had a note to ask you about bartending. Because I, I have this, this feeling from my point of view is, you know, I'm quite a good customer of bars. You know, I've kept a lot of people in work, both in the <laughs> brewing industry and and in, in bars. But I always had the view that I couldn't bear to do it myself. Yeah. I mean, you only have to come in two hours late when you're meeting up with friends when they've had already had plenty to drink. Yeah. And you realise what nonsense people speak. Yes. When they've had a few drinks. Absolutely. But as a bartender, you have to smile and be nice and... Absolutely. Listen to that nonsense. Yep, all the time and learn how to deal with all different types of people. All different types. Must have been good training for dealing with horse owners then. It was the best training that I could recommend. <laughs> I often say, like, if, if, if every horse, if every farrier could be a bartender at some point or, or every trainer, it would help them so much with their customers. Because you just learn to, like, much more role with things you know and, and just like well you know don't take it so personally you know things that people say that are silly yeah yeah I'm sure I'm sure I've been one of those people saying those silly things I hope <laughs> we all have <laughs> so uh, tell me outside uh, do you still ride um, I, I do I own two horses um, but my horse that I I have is with a professional trainer so he's just like a I ride him every now and again, just just around the airing. But he's eleven and he's a stadium jumper, show jumper. So I okay. I just leave him with the trainer and go pet him sometimes. All right. <laughs> so outside of riding, then do you have other interests? Um, I love to cook. I do. Um, actually, um, getting into smoking smoking meats and stuff and doing barbecue. <laughs> I've actually been talking to my sister's boyfriend about doing a competition barbecue because they do competition barbecue all in the south and so that's something that I'm I cooking distresses me so I will cook or you know after a day with my glass of wine or whatever and that's that's kind of a hobby for me. So tell me about smoking what what meats do you smoke? Um pulled pork or pork butt brisket um I like to do chickens turkeys Turkey smoked is actually pretty good. Really? Smoked I'm, mac I'm and cheese. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm starting to salivate, you know. So I don't think I've ever done a podcast and got discussing food. But anyway, I can now picture it and I'd love to see one of these barbecue contests. Oh, absolutely. They're a blast. Maybe I'll have to get down the south Come to sometime. Alabama. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, okay, so, you know. For all of us that shoot horses, you know, there's a certain level of fitness. Everybody thinks that we're all strong mm -hmm. when we're farriers. But I have this thing that we have upper body strength and we have, you know, really strong thighs because we're just putting them under stress the whole time. But we don't often have strong lungs and, you know, our, 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 our heart um, fitness. So is it, do you do anything to keep fit away from shoeing or do you just let the shoeing... Well, I go through spells where when I, I, my chiropractor will yell at me to keep my core strong, you know, every, yeah. because I, you know, your core doesn't get the workout that the rest of the things do. Um, so I do, I do row. I have a rower machine that I use. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a nice one. Um, but I go through spells where I'll use it and then I won't use it and such like that. So basically 
shoeing right now is my fitness <laughs> until I decide I need to start rowing again. Okay, okay. So I, um, I've got a note here that says, what defines success? So I think maybe you said it in your first talk. I did. Here at the, so just tell this podcast what you think defines success. Well, it was a question that, like, because, because that was the, the title of that talk, right? And I, so I started thinking about it, and I asked, I asked a bunch of other farriers as well, male and female, what, what do you feel defines success? Now, the first answer was always money. You know what I mean? Like, you make money, and that's successful. It's like, is that really, is that define success? Is it, um, but then they're like, well, you know, and then my horse is staying sound. Like, that to me is, is, is the success. Like, in um, respective peers, that was another one. Um, and those, those align with how I feel as well, I think. Like, um, my, I think my definition of success would be, um, honestly, sound, sound horses and happy clients in, in, the, work, in the workplace anyways. That's what, that's what I feel. Okay, and and that so that's personal success as well, well as business success. Personal, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. All right. I have, I have not had much, but I would say like if we're talking relationship success, I've not had much good at that and those kind of things. So always get far better relationships with the horses. Exactly. Do you? Yes. Yeah, I know. Yes, well, that's I what do. we always say. The horses are easy. It's the people. That it's are the people that are difficult. difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, you know I, I I think what you said about defining success by money, that's probably a more American thing than than anywhere else. The thing is though, what do you do with your money? Mm. I mean, I suppose if you can buy health and education, but my thing about if you only define success by money. You're always going to be unhappy in this job because you're never going to be exactly. rich like usually most of your clients. Yep. And uh, and and so you never are going to be happy, are you? No. Nope. I, I think uh, you have to look for happiness elsewhere. Absolutely. Anyway, that's enough of the philosophical stuff. Although <laughs> we're going to have a we'll have a um, deep philosophical question uh, a little bit uh, later. But what we're going to do is the quick fire questions. Okay. So you need to answer me quickly. Okay. All right. No prevaricating. Okay. No. All right. So, uh, keg shoes or handmade? Uh, kegs mainly. Loop knife or straight knife? Uh, straight knife. Cowboys or Indians? Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> so, just tell me. Um, I think you also spoke about goals and having goals. Um, mm -hmm. So, do you have any professional goals at the moment, or is it too soon after you step down off the podium? <laughs> Honestly, like after I said that during the first lecture, yeah, because like, I, I didn't, I had not thought about that. Like, what are your? I forget. I think it was a question posed, if I remember correctly. So you've had two days now to think about it. Yeah, and I, I still, ha I still haven't come up with a. I think honestly, if I, if I my goal at this moment would be to back off a little bit of some of my how busy I am with work and which is so funny because I spent so much time and drive to get to where I am that's all I could see for such a long time I mean for the last 20 years that's all I could see is like I'm going to do this I'm going to accomplish this I'm going to be successful 
quote unquote, you know. And now that I, I guess, I feel that I have, I have accomplished that. It's, I mean, it, not definitely the best, but my own personal, like the horses that I do and such like that. I feel like I'm, I'm happy with that. Now I kind of want to spend more time, having a time to go hike, having time to do some barbecue having time to spend time with family and friends because I have not had that have time to ride okay go to the horse shows <laughs> I mean to watch my own horse show not to show <laughs> you know or not to be there to shoe it's a little bit like having an ambition to climb Mount Everest once you got to the top there's only one place to go yes exactly. yeah, you have to you come down a little bit then <laughs> yeah. but you know I was interested in numbers because I don't know whether I misheard you in your in your presentation, mm-hmm. what are your sort of numbers that you're showing? Uh, so I know it's beat. I know it's around four hundred horses. Yeah, but how many in a day? And it oh, in a day, um, I try not to do more than ten or eleven full sets a day. That's a that's a day that I stay at the barn, and that's what I do. So you have a guess now, Laura. What's the most sets of shoes I've put on in a day? How many sets? Yeah. Just have a guess. Fifteen? No, the most I've ever put on is eleven, and you're talking about days <laughs> where you, yeah, the most I ever put on. Maybe that makes me out as a lazy so and so and. No, it's too many because I feel it by the end of that day. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and you know I learned from here in the states, not in the UK, that um, if you're shooting too many horses, you just put your price up. And that's actually, that's about that's what I'm taking home from this summit is I am not even from any of the lectures. I'm actually just because of talking to other fairies, like it's time to put your price up if that's what you're dealing with. Like you really, because it's a struggle when you love all your clients. And I really do love all my clients. I have, I have weeded out like they're, or they weeded themselves out. And I have a great bunch of clients and trainers and I care about the horses. So I hate to let them down, you know, and that's a very difficult Things it's not very business-like. You, you probably won't be surprised by this that a lot of farriers who have, for the, for this for that reason to cut down, put the price up. You know what happens? What? They sometimes don't lose any. Yeah, that's the problem, right? Yeah, but then you at that price you can afford to employ somebody. That's true. That's so, true. So, so it's the answer. That is. Don't the... be frightened to put your price up. And I yeah, I need to do that when I get home. Yeah. And, and the, the other trick is when you tell them the price and you see they don't blink, you just say, for two shoes. <laughs> Instead of four. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's good. So you give it a try and you'll have to let me know next, next year at the International Hoof Care Summit. I, I will. You got what the effect was. <laughs> yeah. But don't blame me if it all goes wrong. <laughs> uh, now, what are the types of horses that you are typically shoeing? Typically, um, I, do, I do a lot of hunters. Um, jumpers, dressage, I do some fox hunters, um, I do a couple western pleasure horses, I do some um, brood mare trims on the babies and stuff, but I only have one barn like that, and I do, that, that's pretty much, that's pretty much a majority of what I do, I don't do, I have some backyard type trims or whatever, but it's mainly all horses that do things. Okay. I just want to clarify because in the UK, mm-hmm. if somebody says they shoe a hunter, mm-hmm. this this is a horse that it might do a few other things, but basically it's there to chase across the fields in the pursuit of uh, foxes. So or, fox hunting sort of thing. 
Yeah. Okay, okay. Because then you said a fox hunter. Mm-hmm. And is, is your fox hunter really doing that? Yeah, the fox hunters okay. are, but they're chasing coyotes generally here. Yeah. 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 Well, ours, because of the law, aren't supposed to be actually hunting foxes. But if a fox gets in the way, well. it gets chased. <laughs> So, so your hunters are actually more a show horse, are they? Yes, aluminum fronts sort of thing. They want them to move nicely and slowly. It's like a, it's like a Western pleasure horse going over a jump sort of thing. So they do jump them, mm-hmm. um, but they're judged as a show, are they, or is it purely whether they get over the fence? No, they're judged of how they of how they jump over the okay. fence. Okay. Well. Yeah. All right, and that's why they want the aluminum yeah. shoes on. Yeah. And uh, it just affect the action. Yes. Okay. Uh, so you you actually shoot quite a wide variety of horses. Then you're not tied down to one type. No. And I and I do a lot of um, would be I guess therapeutic stuff. I do a lot for different vets and two different vets specifically. And and how did you get into that then? Well, I that was my main interest. Um, like. Uh, that's what I wanted to learn uh, was doing was doing that and that really probably stemmed from my first like from that mayor that I said that got hurt I think you know I wanted to learn to be able to help horses like that you know post-surgery or whatever Um, and of course in the south we have a lot of laminitis and um, founder which I'm not the best at dealing with that but I know a farrier that's close to me that is so um, he'll help me a lot if I need you know to figure out how what what do I do for this horse? And how how often are you working with the vets? Uh, once a week for sure. Um, I have a college account that I do. It's their equestrian team and all the the horses. There's about sixty five horses, so we both are there the same day, um, once a week generally. And so we'll do. Sometimes we don't work together that day, but we're still both set up at the barn at the different ends of the bays. But the cool thing is, is that we share other clients as well. So we can meet, we meet there and kind of talk about whatever's been going on with our other clients and I'll show him stuff. He'll show me the x-rays he took and then we kind of can go on about our business. And so what's a typical case that you might be involved with? Generally, get a lot of negative palmer angles. So, you know, horses that, especially in the hinds, and I find... Um, it's like an epidemic, though, isn't it? It is. It's an extreme epidemic, and people <laughs> don't realize how much it affects the horse's back. And so he'll, he'll come to me and say, look, show me the x-ray of this horse that's got a, you know, sometimes four or five degrees palmer angle in the back that's horrible. And, you know, I, um, I generally... So we'll generally work on that sort of thing, or a horse that's got a pinched coffin bone or such like that, I would say. You're going to have to tell me what a pinched coffin like, bone is. Like pinched as in the palmer angle in the front is also negative, so it's it's pinching that coffin joint. Okay. And so we okay. get a lot of that. Right. Yeah, so he'll inject it and I'll shoe it sort of thing. Okay. And uh, you you spoke a lot today about, um, well, you said frog support. I usually say digital support because a lot of it's the whole of the back of the foot, isn't it? Yes. But nevertheless, that that's just semantics. Um and you showed lots of different methods of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is your go-to method? For that sort of support? Yeah. That, um, my go-to, what I've gotten to like, actually, is a, is a, wide, is a wide bar. 
generally now. Um, I'll weld in a wide a wide bar, probably I'd say you know three three or four inches wide on the caudal aspect so of the foot. Seventy five to a hundred mil. Yes. I have to do that translation <laughs> all the time. <laughs> don't, don't worry, it's difficult for me as well. But okay, so that's quite a wide bar. I mean, sometimes they get called a French bar shoe. Mm -hmm. Although I upset a Belgian once who said, no, it's a Belgian bar shoe. <laughs> but, yeah, that sort of has come to the fore quite a bit, I think, in the UK. The only thing that worries me is how much it loads up more weight, you know, mm -hmm. onto the foot. Um, and, and we do seem to be putting more and more stuff under the bottom of the feet, don't we? Whether it's spider plates and, and the packing and everything. So what sort of thickness are you typically showing your um, your hunters? Like as far as stock? Yeah. Wise? Uh, generally eight, eight millimeter, I'd say. Okay. Yeah, generally eight millimeter. Um, the hunters, if I have them in a therapeutic, let's say it's going to be an ACR sort of shoe. Uh, those um, in their tent. Their, I don't know what an ACR shoe is. Those French, um, they're French shoes that they make in, uh, yeah, in France, obviously, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're aluminum shoe and they're a really nice light, but they're between generally 12 to 15 millimeters, some of them, but they're really yeah. light. So. But that really stacks the horse up, doesn't it? it I liked does. it when you said 8 mil because yeah. I just can't believe why somebody would put 10 mil on a horse. Right when it's not wearing its shoes out yeah. you know those days are gone when they were delivering milk or you know right. or coal and 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 then they just go in the menage all day and i just you know and i i shod enough sports horses and and i think they really like eight mil it gets them closer to the ground yeah you know we're just talking about uh, frog support or digital support and and lifting that frog so far away from the ground yeah and then we then we try and find some way of, of, of sort of uh, reconnecting it with the ground, shall we say? But you haven't tried any of the pads, then. I didn't see any on your pictures, and you had a hundred and one examples oh, yeah. of, of the pads, like the PM pads with a hollow frog, and you put dental impression material underneath. You never tried those? I haven't. No. Oh boy, they they work nicely. I'm not even sh sure if they're sold here in the states, but are they new? Are they fairly new? In farriery terms, yeah, brand new. They're only about 15 years have been on the market. Okay, okay that's new. <laughs> um, yeah, things take a lot of time to spread, and maybe maybe there's no distributors here, but um, certainly in Europe and the UK, they, they're really like for sports horses. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to try and show you an example or something. Yeah, anyway. I'd be interested in that for sure. Yeah, yeah, really good. Okay, and you also work... You sit here with equestrian teams, so... Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So that would be the same barn that I meet the vet at on Wednesday. Um, they have an it, that that college has an equestrian team that I that I shoe. So it's a like the students bring have their their horses and such like that, and um, they're all they all do, you know, mainly stadium jumping and such like that, and and some equitation sort of thing, um, and they compete against other college teams in their division. So I, I, that's kind of, I take care of that team sort of thing. Okay, well that's, that's always nice when you sort of have, you know, when you're part of the team really yeah. as a farrier. I, I used to enjoy that and, um, you know, it gives you just another aspect of your career that you, you're thinking about. You want your team to win, don't you? Yes. Yeah, that's and, good. Yes, and I, I enjoy because they're all college girls, you know what yeah. I mean? And so, 
and they're all really they're all very interested in me being a woman fair you know shoeing horses so they feel like they can talk to me i think a lot of times so we get it's it's i do enjoy that now you're not one of these that's going to say that that men farriers hey no (laughs) you're not turning one of those owners that says you Dang, don't talk men. to <laughs> My <laughs> horse hates men or something. No, nope, no. Nope, and I always enough. think, yeah, and who gave your horse that idea? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know as the owner. So yeah. there we go. Well, I, I trained a couple of girls, and actually it was only the women owners that gave them a hard time. I believe that. Uh, you know, I don't know why, but that, that, was, that was the way it went. But, you know, so be it. I thought we almost made a... A promise that we weren't going to do the gender thing. We weren't. We did make a promise. That was totally my bad, not even me. So now, uh, I've got a lot of notes here from your the talk that you just finished only minutes ago. And there, there was quite a bit on glue shoes. You had uh, a number of different versions. But what is your, again, your, your sort of go-to glue shoe or your go-to method? Um, it would be, so let's say... For my some of my foundered cases and stuff, I find they get very sensitive nailing and such like that. So I'll use um, like the Sound Horse uh, shoe, the Morrison shoe sort of thing yeah. that you can glue on, and it has a cuff on it that you glue. So I I do like that one. Uh, I will direct glue aluminum sometimes if I have to. It, let's say if the foot is completely beat up or whatever, or the horse doesn't like, or I can only get two nails in. I'll try and get two nails and also glue the shoe direct onto the foot as well. But my go-to is probably the Sound Horse, um, that, that, uh, the Morrison shoe, I'd say. Yeah, with the cuff around the outside yep. and the Kevlar. And I, yes, exactly. So as, as people point out, that is there a danger of the horse being shot in the foot? Is that why they use Kevlar? <laughs> they use the Kevlar. <laughs> I, it, that stuff is tough. It'll go 16 weeks. No, I used to do a lot of that shoe. And if you don't have the right scissors, shears, yeah. you just can't get through it, can you? No. Nope, you can't you, trim it off. It is. It really is tough. You have to even, almost have tin snips or just buy this, whatever those shears are that sell yeah. ourselves. Yeah, no, I I did a lot, and that was the main problem. It's you know, you think, you think you're just snipping a little bit <laughs> off, and five minutes later, you, I know. you're still having to go. Yeah, I, and, and the other thing is the, the, the just the direct bonding, as we often call it in the UK, that, that again, was my way, main way. The big advantage of that is you have all the equipment. You don't have to stock these shoes, do you? No, no. You, you've got your aluminium shoes and you've got your acrylic glues. Yep. And you just choose. So none of this paying, well, many dollars or pounds just to carry a pair and sometimes carry them for months exactly and that's dead invent i mean i do it yes i have so much dead inventory in my truck but it's like when i have to have it i have to have it i can't like oh i'm gonna come back after i order it you know it always seems like sometimes i don't know what i'm gonna end up doing so and i I picked up on uh, in your your last lecture uh when you were talking a little bit about quarter cracks Mm -hmm. and i i just need a clarification about Media lateral adjustment. I, I can't even remember whether you said you did adjust them media laterally or you didn't. Um, maybe I just made that note to myself. The quarter cracks, because Mike is the quarter crack one. Yeah. I don't do the quarter crack so much. Did I say that about the heart? Uh, about the heart bar? Yeah, I might have been that. Remember. Uh, I usually will float it. I'll usually float a quarter crack generally, right. and then offer frog support. 
um, that sort of thing. Um, and and I I find that they will have a a shear to some extent. Maybe as it was a shear, um, that will cause a crack. But I I have to be careful. Like I was saying, with the balancing of those out, because if it's a quarter crack and a shear, and then you drop the shear, right, and then your soft tissue tears, and then your horse is lame from that instead of the quarter crack. Well, when I used to float a heel, my my rule was never in the middle of the season. You know. Yes. The, the owner has to know that you, you can't just carry on as normal if you're doing that. It's really effective, but I wouldn't want the horse... The horse needs to be in an easy period or a rest period, I think, Yes. to to do that without risk. Yeah. And then it, it surprises people how much it, you know, it drops. Yeah. Day by day. It does. Um, so you don't have a go-to actual patch repair then? Or, or do you? I, I don't end up with quarter cracks like Mike yeah. does. He uses the, the polyflex cracks or the, the um, yeah, the ones that Curtis makes there. The, yeah. he, those for those. He is, he uses those. I, I honestly, I have not had a quarter crack um, for, I had one come to me one time from, and I actually think it was from the West Coast and it was already patched. And so I just, I actually redid, I used that patch that Mike told me to use and did this, what he, because otherwise I don't, like, so that's not my, <laughs> not my fortune. But, but it was interesting you said that you don't get quarter cracks. Mm-mm. And you know why that is? Why? Probably because you're balancing the feet properly. Really? Yeah, <laughs> that's I... the biggest factor. I did lots on quarter cracks and that's why I sort of questioned you and that's why I'd made that note because... I think people that say they just repair the quarter crack and they don't do anything else, it's just going to crack again. Because the crack occurred for a reason. It's it, it's an uneven stress through the hoof capsule. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some great crack repairs, and uh, it's quite true that acrylic, when it's done well, uh, you know, acrylic with a, with a fiberglass um, in it, whether you choose to chop it up or put it in, uh, in layers, um, does make a, a stronger repair than the hoof actually is in the first place. But if you don't address the problem, it just comes back. It's just going to come back again. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's why you're not getting quarter crack. That's why. You're getting the <laughs> foot balance right. That's good to Laura. know. <laughs> um, now, I need to ask you the deep philosophical question. Okay. Which is, um, what is the most useful thing you've learned in life? Ooh. I think I can, the, the most useful thing is how to deal with people like i know like i was saying about the bartending i can't you know it goes back to that and dealing with clients like that has made from me being a very uh anti-social naturally i'm a very anti-social person <laughs> you know i kind of and so that has been the most useful thing is making myself like get out and socialize and then also doing you know like I said a very social job and that has been the most useful thing in my life that i and it and something i've had to kind of overcome too so what i'm going to do is try and recommend to every farrier school that part of the syllabus is at least a week working behind the bar but i would i would totally be <laughs> so that's what we're going to do now. Their, their parents might be mad but <laughs> Um, okay, so we're here at the International Hoof Care Summit, and you've been here before? Yes. How many times? Uh, I think eight. Well, you're probably like rivaling me. <laughs> Somebody asked me that today, and I said, I think ten, but we're on the same, the same time. 
So, so what's been your impression of this International Hoof Care Summit? This one, I, I like like kind of like what I was telling Jason, like the um, the the camaraderie, how this one feels different. I mean, yes, I I know the numbers. It wasn't as like not so many people here, but the people were here, like wanted to be here, like you said, and I felt like we just maybe we appreciate each other more. I'm not exactly sure, but there was a different feeling this year of at least to me of like just more of a family than I've ever felt at actually any I mean any convention that I've gone to which I found interesting no I I felt exactly the same I was really worried about numbers I thought if there's only 40 percent of the normal people here because it's it's huge isn't it yes. it's often 1500 yes and I thought that great lecture room you know if there's just a few people scattered in it and numbers were down not as much as I feared but as you said, I think in some ways the atmosphere was yeah. even better. You know, we were the sort of the ones that, that went the extra mile exactly. to get here. And um, so that was great. So you'd recommend other people to come in? Absolutely, I and would. Especially. so would I, because I think it's that, it is that really good combination that you can be serious about learning, and I get to as many of the lectures and the opportunities as I can still. Yeah. But my goodness, you can have a good time on the social side as well absolutely and catch up with people you haven't seen for all year or two in this case what's been three years yeah right or two since no, 19, it's been two years two years that's right 19 you know yeah anyway laura listen it's been really good speaking to you on this podcast so thanks for doing it absolutely thank you well it's been my pleasure so um uh, i don't know what we're going to do now it's the end of the uh, hoof care summit mm-hmm. and Got to try and get ready to go home, but thank you. Absolutely, thank you. Laura gave an excellent presentation at the International Hoof Care Summit this year on frog support and on negative palmer angle, which of course is a little bit of flavour of the month subject. We went into these subjects further in depth. We also discussed lots of technical stuff including various types of glue shoes and the use of heart bars, medial lateral balance and crack repair on top of all the personal stuff that I like to cover in this podcast. I'm hoping to see at some point in the future Laura speak again and she made a great subject for a podcast. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.